Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. The sun was now setting as our hero went forth, with no sign of a light up ahead. The prospect of spending a night in the woods stuffed her full to the brim with dread. You're listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 2 Of Friends and Foes. Gran? I'd passed through the small village of Grossick around noon, which is the furthest I had ever been from home before that day. I stopped and had a bit of the bread I packed, topped up my water skin at the well, and asked an elderly woman for directions to the next town. With a few teeth she had left, she told me that the next village, Hamilt, was only a few more hours' walk. Just over here and round the stream, going along the valley there until you hit the village. Plain is the sun. Couldn't miss it for your life. Good cozy in there, ail thick as a bog. And there are signs marking the way there? Oh, aye, but you won't need them. Road straight as an arrow. I do it myself with a bag on me back in three hours' time. Now, I didn't consider myself to be a slow walker by any means, so I figured I'd get to Hamlet with a couple hours to spare before sundown. But either that lady had wings, or I was lost, because Hamlet was nowhere in sight. Grandbauer and I had passed over the hill and around the stream, and were walking along the only feature that could have been called a valley. But three hours into our walk, I began to grow nervous. I hadn't seen any road signs. Not a one. I was following the sun west, and I hadn't seen any obvious fork off the main road. But something had gone wrong. And now, it was too late to turn back before the chill of night would set in. Oh, Gran. Oh, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. <laughs> oh, we couldn't have missed it. I mean, it, it's a whole village with an inn and a pub and people and stuff. She said we couldn't miss it for our lives. <laughs> no, I, I don't think she would have lied to us. What good would that have done her? No, I, I must have messed up somewhere. Here, let's just take a break and think. I sat down on the side of the road, and my body immediately thanked me. I was tired. I'd walked for about eight hours since leaving home, and had probably covered a good 20 miles or so. I had no experience with long-distance treks, and had little appreciation for how sore feet could get. Thankfully, I had no blisters, since my leather boots were well-worn and behaved like a second skin. But man, did my legs not want to move! Grandbauer seemed tired, too, but he wandered to the edge of the lane and started peeling bark off of a tree and eating it, happy as ever. I looked up at the sky. Twilight was setting in, and a few lofty clouds are rolling in from the south. Well, Gran, we could keep going and hope that we hit Hamlet soon. Although I'm starting to think it doesn't exist. Or we could walk all the way back to Grossick, which we know exists, and beg a room from someone, I guess. <laughs> or that. But I didn't really bring much to camp with. Just a wool throw and an extra jacket. I turned to pick up my satchel. And the motion reminded me how exhausted I was. Oof. I don't know if walking anywhere is an option, Gran. <laughs> Besides, how would that sound in a storybook? Brave adventurer turns back on her first night? <laughs> no. 
We'll have to make camp. Which was something I had never done before. I could only remember a few nights of my life where I hadn't slept under the thatch of my family's cottage, with Jamie in the loft when I was young, and then with Mom in the second room after Dad died. And the few times I could remember were at an inn with Dad when he went east to the next village for a market run. But I'd read about camps and bivouacs in the books that Bertram had lent me, so I had the basic idea. First, gather dry wood while there was still light out and build a fire. I left Granbower to graze alongside the road while I collected sticks and small logs, but most of the wood was damp from the recent rains. Luckily, many of the trees in the area were birch, and I remembered how Elthus the Fierce had once stripped off small strands of birch bark to use as kindling. Gran helped me to peel some bark too, but he ate at least half. Soon, I had gathered enough to start a blaze a small distance from the road. It was just in time, too, for dark had set in. Next, shelter. I didn't have much to work with, but it looked like it would be a clear night, if a cold one. There wasn't much of a breeze, so I piled several stalks of bracken fern close to the fire, but far enough that they wouldn't catch, and laid my wool blanket on top. I pulled on the extra jacket I had brought and had a small meal beside the fire. I let Grandbauer roam until I grew tired, and then brought him over to lay down beside me. Legend held that Tikal of the Truthful had once lived through a blizzard in the southern wilds by befriending a wolf and sharing body heat in its den, so I decided Grandbauer would be my wolf for the night. I added more wood to the fire and pressed my shivering back against Grand's, excited beyond belief that we hadn't died on our first day on the road! Although I kept Bertram's dagger by my side, just in case. For the first time in my life, I went to bed staring at a starry sky, and my exhaustion carried me past the cold and deep into a dreamless sleep. What was that? Shh, Grand, Grand, shh, shh, shh. What the hell was a dog doing out here in the middle of the night? It sounded close. Like, too close. I removed my dagger from its sheath, and I had grabbed Grand's lead to keep him steady. The fire had sizzled out into embers, and slowly I rose onto my elbows to peer out into the darkened woods. At first, I saw nothing, just Grand's pale butt beside me, but there was enough moonlight to make out the shape of tree trunks for a few dozen yards, and then I saw it. A dog running past us. But not a dog. A cloud of mist that was shaped like a dog. It gave off no light of its own, but reflected the light of the moon with an ominous glow. My skin rippled with chills. Oh, a ghost. Grand, Grand, it's a ghost. Oh, great Douglas fur! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Okay, okay, okay. Just stay calm. It's just, yeah, it's just a ghost. <laughs> yeah, a normal, nice, good dog, ghost. <laughs> Suddenly, I saw another blur of mist in the corner of my eye. It was headed straight for us, following after the dog. Utterly petrified and unable to move, I gripped Gran and stifled my screams in his hair. I felt a column of ice punch through my back. My breath was extinguished, and I felt my entire body seize as if I'd been plunged into a frozen lake. And I felt sad. So sad. So this is what death feels like, I thought. Horrible. But then the ice pulled away, and I felt normal again, almost as if nothing had even happened. I looked up and saw that the mist had taken the form of a young woman with a shawl wrapped around her head. She had stepped through us, oblivious to our existence. As I watched her walk away, I noticed several other puffs of mist moving in the same direction. 
Well, that's creepy as heck. <laughs> no, no, I, I think we're safe. Gran was shaking wildly, scared out of his mind. Another ghost approached us, an older man wearing his nightclothes. I stood up to face him, dagger in hand. Hello? Sir? The man didn't react at all. He kept moving forward at a slow, deliberate pace in the same direction as the others. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Me? No, not you, Gran. And all the tales I'd ever heard about ghosts. They could interact with the living in some capacity. Some people, like Andaic the Dreamwalker, could even follow them into the spirit realm. But these ghosts? These phantoms of mist? They were out of reach. At least for me. Two more ghosts walked towards us, also wearing their bedclothes. Like brothers they looked, and they matched pace with an arm around each other's shoulder, almost as if they were about to go off and play. I ventured a curious palm and put it out in the path of one of their shoulders. They took no notice, and my hand felt deathly cold once again as it melted into their outlines. An ache of depression took hold of me. My breath disappeared, and my knees buckled. I lost my grip on Granbauer's lead, and he skipped away, too frightened to stay. Granbauer! <sighs> Eventually, my breath returned, and the cold and fear dissipated. Granbauer hadn't gone far, so I brought him back to our camp and tied him to an alder. We sat there for quite some time watching the ghosts move through the woods. It was still quite creepy, but they were utterly indifferent to our presence and seemed truly harmless. I had long accepted that there was no way I'd be able to fall asleep again. So, after a while, I decided to follow the trail of ghosts. <coughs> no, it's okay, Gran. I don't think they can hurt me. At least, not for good. I want to see where they're going. <coughs> I'll be right back. I caught up to the two brothers and followed close behind as they walked deeper into the woods. As we walked, I noticed what looked like old fences lining our course, mossy and dilapidated, and soon I saw what looked like the desiccated walls of a wooden house. It was difficult to tell in the dark, but the scattered timbers looked charred and burnt. Ashen chairs and furniture littered the inside, and I gulped when I couldn't tell if I'd seen a kettle or a skull. Scores of phantoms were drifting in from all directions now, converging in what looked like an old village square. They gathered in a circle, a hundred ghosts at least, and then they all stopped. It began softly, a faint hum tracing the silence of night. I felt goose pimples rising on my arms. It was as if the voice of fog itself was singing. I am alive with a morning song. I am alive with the ash from dawn. I am alive with the dark of night. I am alive when the fire burns bright. I looked around the circle, and behind the phantoms, I saw a burned village. Houses, shops, shelters, all burnt. This is Hamilt, I realized. Saplings and ferns were growing out of the ashes where the buildings used to be. The fire must have happened years before. Why on earth did that old woman send me this way? Oh, she must have been older than I thought to have forgotten something like this. As the phantom sang, more fog rolled in through the trees, and slowly... 
a pale village emerged as the mist took on the form of the village that used to be. The houses, the shops, the shelters, all were rebuilt as fog. And then, as if it was a normal day in a normal village, all the phantoms began to move about and go after their business, still singing their song. Doors opened and closed soundlessly. Smoke rose from vapor chimneys, and a woodcutter chopped blocks of mist. I walked around the village, careful not to touch any of the structures or bump into any of its residents. I was invisible to them. I watched a butcher carve a spectral deer and lob a hunk of loin to the dog I'd seen earlier. I saw a scribe write an invisible letter for eyes that would never see again. I watched a mother nurse her phantom babe and pat its back as it puked up tiny clouds. It all seemed oddly normal. I nearly forgot none of it was real. The next time I heard the song's refrain, it felt like singing along. I am alive with the morning song. I am alive with the ash of dawn. I am alive with the dark of night. I am alive when the fire burns bright. A phantom wearing a heavy wool coat walked by and tipped his hat. Good evening, madam. Good evening, sir. He walked by, and I kept strolling along until I realized, wait, you can see me? Pardon? You, you can see me and hear me? Well, not well, but deader than before. No, 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 but, but I'm alive. Are you sure? The phantom reached a hand out to touch my arm, and where I should have felt the chill of death, I felt his gentle touch. What? I recoiled and looked at my hand. It was fading. Ah! I touched it with my other hand, which was also fading, and they were both frozen to the touch, though they didn't feel like it. Around my fingertips, small clouds of vapor were forming, like breath on a frosted morning. The colder you get, the more mist you will attract. It shouldn't be long before you're as cold as me. No, 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 I'm not dead. Not yet. Or do I know you from somewhere? Oh, gosh, no! Grandbauer! Grandbauer! Me! Grandbauer, where are you? I ran as fast as I could in the direction of Grandbauer's calls, dodging ghost carts and horses and baskets woven from mist. I heard shouts as I ran. Is she the one who started the fire? Could it be her? Is she the one who burned Mummy? Get her! Don't let her escape! We shall be avenged! I looked over my shoulder and saw that the entire village was pouring forth in pursuit. As if I wasn't running fast enough already, I found I had an entirely new capacity for physical movement. I dashed through the forest, calling out, Gran! Gran! And did what I could to avoid tripping over my skirt or running into a tree. In the latter case, I was not successful, as I smacked my shoulder into a trunk a dozen feet away from my camp. Ah! Son of a birch! I scrambled to my knees and saw that the horde was a good hundred feet off and moving at a slow, ghoulish pace. I raced through different ideas of what to do next and saw the embers still glowing from my fire. In a moment of either supreme inspiration or utter panic, I ran back to the birch I'd hit and peeled off more bark. I threw it onto the embers and blew on them as hard as I could, and soon little lines of orange traced the edges of the bark and swallowed it up in flame. I threw on the bracken I'd use for a bedroll, and then all the other sticks I could reach. To my extreme delight, my hands were beginning to appear solid again, and by the time the horde arrived, I had a full blaze going. 
I stuck a large branch in it to light the end and swept it in a circle through the air. Stay back! The horde was afraid of the fire and kept their distance. See, she's the one who burns. See how she lights the woods. The fire, Mama, it scares me. Surely it was her, the one who killed us while we slept. I, no, I, I did no such thing. But you returned to us on this auspicious night with flame in hand. No, no, I, I didn't return. I swear, I've never been here before. I've never even left my own village until this morning. Geez, had it really only been one day? Oh, my name is Allie Fields. And this is Grandbauer. <laughs> we were traveling together, and, and we're planning to stay at Hamild tonight. But as I have now learned, it is burnt down. A fact I did not know until just a moment ago. Why should we believe you? Because, uh, here, look, I'll put this down. I sat down the flaming stick and approached the horde with empty hands. If I'm hearing you correctly, someone burned your village several years ago. At night, and, and and you all died, and you want revenge on them, and rightfully so. Yes, we do. So then, riddle me this. If I was the one who burned down your village, why would I return here? To an already burned village, the valuables of which I imagine have already been removed, at night, with a goat. The horde looked amongst themselves and nodded. They seemed to agree it, it was odd. And, and besides... How could one person alone wipe out an entire village? Y'all need to look for a group of arsonists. A, a gaggle. More than just me. More general nodding from the ghosts. Listen, I'm, I'm sorry for what happened to you. I wish I knew how to help or who did it, but I don't. So, as a group of people who have experienced a sudden and unnecessary loss of life, I beseech you to not do the same to someone else. <laughs> or their goat. Just please, leave us be. And and we'll leave you be. Sound good? The horde was silent. They looked at one another, and then all looked at me. Slowly, oh so slowly, their outlines began to blur and fade, each individual melting into a collective mass of mist, which rolled away and back towards the village. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, Grandbauer. Oh, Grandbauer. Oh, I don't think I'm ever going to sleep again. I slumped down in a heap by the fire and pulled Grandbauer close. He lay down beside me and gnawed on my boot. I stared at my hands. Flesh. Blood. Good. And we sat there awake until the sun was fully in the east, fire burning all the while. In the morning light, the charred remains of Hamilt were impossible to miss, as Grandbarrow and I continued to walk west. We hitched a ride in the back of a farmer's cart, and I asked him when the village had burned down. Round about five years ago, I should wager. Come to think of it, five years exactly, for it burned on the eve of my sister's wedding, and that was five years past now. Never caught who did it neither. Still at large, the rascals some fear. Lovely wedding my sister's was, though, despite the news. Folk from all round the valley, little ones running through the header. No shy scrap of ale, either. No, no, there were two barrels, not your one or a pint. Five years? How on earth did that lady in Grossick think it was still up and thriving? And who'd you be talking to, then? I didn't catch her name. She was really old, and she was missing most of her teeth. 
but she said she could walk to Hamilton in three hours with a pack on her back. Oh, aye, that'll be Myrtle. Uh, always had a fancy for embellishment, that one. Besides that, her mind is headed for the fields these last years. Don't take it personal-like. Once she says to me, she says, My granny stopped by for tea one afternoon. Of course, granny'd been dead for near twenty years at that point. Chilled beyond cold in her grave. More dirt than bone at that point, I should wager. Best be sure to check what folks tell you as you wander, friend. Folks be bound to say what they think, and not what they know. The loquacious farmer dropped us off in the town of Dolfries around midday. We thanked him for the ride, and immediately set off in search of an inn. I was hungry, exhausted, and still shaken to the bone from the night's spectral events. I had no energy to marvel at the first real town I'd ever seen, and found an inn with a bed as quickly as possible. A stable boy took Grand to a nicely stocked pen, and I gladly handed over one of the nice silver coins Bertram had given me for a meal. Once full, I went up to my room and fell asleep as soon as my face hit the pillow. Madam, are you there? Are, are you alive? Huh? What? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm here. Um, well, madam, it's Maggie we're seeing. He's only paid for one night, and now it's near about another night. Are yous wanting to stay? Oh, uh, I looked at the window and saw that the sky was already turning dark. Um, yeah, yeah, sh sure. Oh, okay. Thank yous, madam. Sleep for a whole day? Oh, my goodness. But I felt very refreshed and decided, yeah, it was time to go and explore the town. I had another meal at the inn, visited Granbauer at the stables, and then headed out on the streets. Dolfries felt huge. I'd never been anywhere with real streets before. There were long buildings lining both sides of the road, and wooden signs dangled above individual shops, with paintings of shoes, barrels, clothing, and bread. Most of the shops were closed, and the last few shopkeepers with light-filled windows gradually wrapped up their business and closed the doors. Most of the roads were sparsely populated, and the few people wandering about were either heading in or heading out towards a pub. And there was music! I saw a group of young folks heading in its direction, and I followed them to one of the town's pubs. Past the open door, the smell of ale and the heat of warm bodies filled the air, and I saw people dancing. Everybody was smiling. Everyone was laughing. People hugged each other and wrapped arms around friendly shoulders, and my, could they dance. I ordered an ale and sipped it while I watched. The ale was so much better than the stuff people brewed in Fribbleshire, but then we only really drank beer when the creeks were dry and there wasn't safe water. My nose was deep in my mug when I heard someone say, Would you care to dance? A tall young man appeared next to me, his hand outstretched. I looked over my shoulder to see who he was talking to. But his eyes were looking at me. I wiped the beer foam off my nose. Who? who me? Yeah, you. Would you care to dance? I stared at him for a moment with my mouth bobbing up and down, uncertain what it was supposed to do. No one had ever asked me to dance before. Allie Odds wasn't really as sought after anything in Fribbleshire, let alone a dance partner. And then I realized he had no idea who I was. He didn't know I was a farmer girl whose best friend was a goat, or that I'd never danced with someone before, or anything. I could be whoever I wanted to be. 
and I found that very exciting. I held out my hand. Sure, I'm Allie. Allie Odds. I mean, well, yeah. I didn't mean to say the name, but it felt kind of good. Allie, pleasure. I'm Weston. He led me to the dancing area, and the torrent of gangly limbs I let fly was a sight to behold. Graceful, elegant, poised, and collected are words to describe how everyone else was dancing. Me? Well, I had fun. Unbridled, unpracticed fun. Weston alternated between trying to lead me through actual steps and then freestyling alongside me. And we laughed and laughed as the musicians played song after song. When the music ended, we chatted by the bar for a while. I told him how I had left home with Granbauer to find a squad of adventurers to travel with, and about the ghosts I'd met near Hamilton. Weston listened eagerly as I described the ordeal, and said he'd never heard of anything like it. He told me that his family owned the bakery in town, and as he was the oldest of his siblings, he was to take over the family business someday. Don't you get tired of baking every day? No. There's something soothing about getting your hands in the dough and watching it rise. It's all gentle-like. Puts my mind at ease. Once I had the sweats and was sick for near a fortnight, and Ma wouldn't let me come near the shop, and I thought I'd go mad without the routine of it. I miss the feel of flour on my arms, and the smell of the ovens. Some things just become part of you, you know? I guess so. Although I can't say I miss the smell of cow poop, or of shoveling the stalls every day. Someday you might. A couple months down the road. Home might sound better than any place in the world. <laughs> Doubtful. To each their own. This is where I belong. My sister fancies going to the Arcanium College, get away from home as well, but she's still young, so we'll see. Wait, the Arcanium College is a real place? I, th I thought it was just a group of people who did magic in the woods. Course it's real! They teach all kinds of things there, not just magic, though that's what most people associate it with. From what I've heard, they train more lawyers than wizards. Maybe that's where I'd go to find the thinky person in my squad. Where is it? Way down south, near the Great Forest. So, almost a group of people doing magic in the woods. Weston and I finished our ales, and left the pub with a slight glow to our cheeks. He offered to walk with me back to the inn, and I gladly accepted. He felt like the first real friend I'd ever had. At least, who wasn't twice my age or a goat. We talked openly and freely, and I felt really safe with him. When we got to the wooden steps of the inn, he took my right hand and gave it a gentle kiss. Come by to bakery tomorrow before you go. I'll keep a loaf to the side for you. Really? That's... That's so nice of you, Weston. Thank you. It was really nice to meet you. You too. Good night, Aliods. Well, the name sure sounded nicer when he said it. Good night, Weston. Good gosh, oh golly, didn't I just feel like the bee's knees? Never in my 17 years of life had I ever had such a successful interaction with a human. Before heading up to bed, I visited Gran in the stables and told him about my evening. He was very happy for me. In the morning, I went downstairs for breakfast and was handed a steaming bowl of porridge. I laughed to myself and ate it happily. I counted out how much money I had left and decided it would be a worthy investment to purchase some better adventuring gear before leaving town. A bedroll, in case I got into another pinch like I did at Hamilt, some mittens, and some pants. Especially some pants. There were snags and tears in my skirt from when I'd run away from the ghost horde, and it was a real tripping hazard at high speed. So... I grabbed Granbauer from the stables and headed into town. There was a shop that had a sign with three wooden balls arranged in a triangle, signifying that it was a pawn shop. I went in and was able to find a used bedroll with leather straps for transport, 
but I had to go to a weaver's for the pants and the mittens. I bought some salted pork from the butcher, and then went to the bakery to say goodbye to Weston. A young boy was helping customers at the counter. Weston's brother, I figured. And then Weston walked into the front room with a basket of fresh pastries. He saw me and waved. Good morning, Ali. Got your bread right here. He walked around the counter with a gorgeous braided loaf in his hands. It's a masterpiece, I said. Thank you so much for everything. It, it goes great with the sharp cheese as well. If you're still heading west to Derry, they've got the best slice of cheddar you'll ever meet. And there's this, too. Weston held out two little cookies, one shaped like a person and one shaped like a goat. Both of them had eyes made out of dried berries with little frosting smiles. Oh, is this me and Graham? Yeah, I had to get a little creative with a goat. I don't spend much time with livestock. I hope you like them. Oh, I love them. <sighs> if only he wasn't set on staying in Dolfries, he could have been the maker in my squad. Oh, well. We shared a hug, and I tucked the loaf into my satchel. If I ever do head home, I'll be sure to stop by and say hi. I hope that you do. Best on the road ahead. Thanks, Weston. It was a cloudy day, but far warmer than it had been in months. As soon as I got out of Dolfries, I noticed that the trees lining the main road had buds forming on their branches, and the first of the bluebells were starting to poke out their flowered little heads. I felt about as fresh as they were. Just having made one friend helped me feel like so many other things were suddenly possible. Part of me wanted to stay in Dolfries and get to know Weston even better, since he was someone I already enjoyed. But the rest of me was so excited to explore that the thought of staying put there just, just felt out of the question. So I wandered west, following the main road as I had been, and stopping every so often when there was an especially beautiful tree to meet or a nice river to dip a finger in. More people seemed to be on the road than before, and I saw at least two carts an hour, plus a few people on foot. Around midday, I stopped at a little stream to refill my water and have a snack. I ate the cookie that looked like me and fed the cookie that looked like Gran to Gran. He seemed very pleased. Shortly after our respite, we came up behind what looked like a stalled wagon. As we walked closer, we saw that it was worse than stalled. It was broken. The entire front axle had snapped, and the forward end of the large cart was tilted to the ground behind the horse. A frantic elderly couple walked circles behind the cart, flapping their hands and offering expletives to the air. They saw me and Gran approach and laughed with relief. Oh, thank goodness. Someone to help. Oh, blessed be, lover, you're just in the nick of time. Hi, what happened? Oh, blasted cart has had its last day. Broke on us, foul thing. Just on our way home from supplying ourselves in Dolfries. Will you help us? Sure. This was just the kind of hero stuff I've been wanting to do. You just need help getting it all home? Aye, we're aiming to be back mid-afternoon, but now there's no chance of that. Having another hand might make it possible to be home before sundown. Are you just travelling on your own? Yeah, for the time being. Are you from around here? Kind of. Fribbleshire? A few days from here. But this is the furthest west I've ever been. Well then, we have a spare cot in the next village over. If you came to help us, you'd be welcome to it, and a meal besides. Oh, that sounds great. What can I do? Kind stranger. Oh, we are blessed indeed. I'll have to come back with the wheelwright tomorrow and fix the cart. So for now, we'll have to unload the cart and put as much as we can on the horse, and then carry the rest. Can your goat carry weight? What do you say, Gran? Meh. Come on, they need help. Meh. He'll help. His name's Granbauer, and mine's Allie. Allie odds. 
Again, it slipped out. But again, it felt good. It's a pleasure. I'm Graham, and this is my wife, Jo. Great to meet you, Ali. Now let's get started. I helped Joe and Graham to arrange the contents of their cart into various bags and drape them across their horse, who they called Rascal. Most of the goods were textiles, finely woven cloths and finished garments made out of wool and linen, and some clothes made of a thin, shiny fabric I'd never seen before. There were a few chests of jewelry, too, gold and silver bracelets and pendants. I suddenly realized that I was probably holding more valuable stuff in that one moment than I had ever held in my entire life. So what do you two do? Oh, this and that. Trade and what's in fashion between here and there. Whatever works to keep food in the belly and joy in the heart. We don't have a store, mind you. Just the middleman, you might say. So you don't make or keep any of this for yourselves? No. Neither of us were touched with the gift of handiwork. But we keep a thing or two. Things with tears and stains and the like. At this, Joe reached into one of the bags with the shiny clothes and pulled out a flowing dark green blouse. She made a tiny rip in the sleeve with her fingernails and smiled, then tossed it to me. Oh, darn! I guess you'll have to have it. <laughs> really? I? I'll just say a bandit stole it on the road. <laughs> we worked quickly and merrily. Joe and Graham were both jolly, plump, and rosy-cheeked, and there was a gleam in their eyes that just made me feel like smiling. I couldn't help myself. How lucky was I to keep meeting such kind, interesting people while I traveled? It had only been a few days since I'd left home, but it felt like the world was completely different. Soon, we had all the goods loaded up, and between the horse, Grandbauer, and myself, there wasn't much that Joe and Graham had to carry, which was good. They were both white of hair, and Graham walked with a staff. So, burdened though we were, we set off on the road once again. It was perhaps the most entertaining walk of my life. Joe and Graham were fantastic, and they told all kinds of stories about their life together. How they met, how they traveled on the road when they were young, how their kids grew up and disappointed them, but not really, but a little. They would take turns telling the tales, correcting each other, or adding a detail that the other one had forgotten. It was hilarious. No, no, you're not telling it right. I was the one who finally grabbed the chicken. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I'd given up chasing it around the yard, blasted brute. Aye, you were panting round like a dog, your face red as an apple. So as I took the axe, seeing as Mr. Graham here wasn't feeling up to the task, oh yes, and, and the bloody shaft split, and the axe had dropped right onto the chicken's neck. Clean a cut as you could have asked. No way. Oh way. And believe it or no, the axe came down and pssst, cut just the finest sliver of my thumbnail. No finger, just nail. That is crazy! You got so lucky! <laughs> if you think that's crazy, just ask Joe how she got the scar on her neck. It went on and on like this, story after story, and I chimed in every now and then with stories of my life back home. I told Joe and Graham about the ghosts I saw in Hamilt, which felt much less scary with a few days' distance. And they went oddly quiet, sad, I think, to dwell on how many people had died so tragically. Like Weston, they didn't doubt the validity of my story like I expected most people would. Maybe ghosts were more common than I thought. We left the main road when it split off to head south towards Derry, where I planned to head the next day. The trail was far more narrow, and we weren't able to walk abreast of one another anymore. Our pace had been slow to begin with, but this seemed to slacken the pace even more. When we took another rest break, I looked up in the sky and noticed that the sun was starting to hang low in the west. How far do we still have to go? 
Oh, another four miles or so. But I'm beginning to fear we won't get there before dark. What about the shortcut, love? Ah, uh, yes, the shortcut. Oh, I forgot, as I'm used to having the cart with me. Oh, well, it'll be a tight squeeze through the woods, but hopefully it will knock a mile off the journey. Great. Lead the way. Graham led us down a narrow path through a pinewood forest. The branches were close, and they clawed at our clothes and hair. Beneath the boughs, the world grew darker, and I began to fear that Graham may not be able to find his way on the path once the sun went down. It wasn't a frequented trail by the looks of it, and I felt sure I'd have lost us a few times if I was the one leading. It grew darker still, and I felt anxious about spending another night in the woods. The memory of the ghosts was still with me, and a shiver went down my spine when the last bits of sun finally faded. Are we close? Shouldn't be much farther now, should it, love? Love? Well, um... Oh, no. We're not lost, are we? Lost is a strong term. My stomach sank. Mercy alive, fool, old man. That's what we get for leaving the main road. Oh, we're lost? Well, I know we're north of home and west of the main road, so not completely. That's his way of saying yes. Best unpack the horse then and make camp. We're not going no further tonight. But if we just go on a single step with your eyes and your legs in the dark, I'll just be asking for trouble. Sorry about this, Ollie dear. We'll make sure you're taken care of when we get home, you hear? But for now, mightn't you help unload the beasts? I was tired, hungry, and frustrated. But I said, yeah, yeah, of course. I took off Grandbauer's bags and began to gather firewood. We lit a fire and had a small meal out of what little food we had to share. I offered up the loaf Weston had baked, and wished that I had just stayed in Dolfrey's for another night of dancing and music. But no, it was another night under the stars once again. At least I wasn't alone this time. Joe and Graham shared a few more stories, and managed to coax a few more laughs out of me, but soon I felt exhaustion pulling me towards sleep. I cuddled up beneath my woolen blanket, and used the tales of Galena the Great for a pillow. Seeing my intent, Joe began to sing a gentle tune. Close your eyes and swim out to the golden island. Hold your breath and feel your flippers grow. Smell the seaweed and hear the water flowing. Taste the salt and remember you are home. If the moon stopped rising, if the sun it never shined, if the wind stopped blowing, I'd still want you. To be mine, I still want you to be mine. Oh, my son used to love that one. Where is it? What, dear? The place in that song. That's where my family lives. Magical place. I want to go there. Sooner than you think, love. I drifted up to sleep and dreamt about a wide blue sea. I woke to a clear sky and to the sound of birdsong as feathered little bodies flew to and fro atop the branches. I stretched and yawned and allowed myself a moment to relish in the freshness of the morning. Then I rose to see if Joe and Graham had woken up. But they weren't where I'd seen them when I'd gone to sleep. And I couldn't see the horse either. Or the bags of goods that we'd hauled along the road. Or Granbauer. Everything was gone.
Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and today I'd like to thank Maggie Bacon of Wild Choir for sharing her morning song with all of us, and for creating space to talk about death in all of its many forms. I'd also like to mention my exciting new Patreon page, where you can be like an old-school Renaissance patron and support an artist like me in creating more art for people like you. If you want to donate any amount, I'd be most grateful to you, and you can do that by visiting patreon.com forward slash odds. I want this show to continue to be free for anybody to hear it anywhere in the world, but donations like this help me know that what I'm doing matters, and it helps me make sure I can keep doing it. I hope you're just having a magical day, wherever you are, whoever you are. And I'll hope to see you around the fire for episode three. Adventuring is hard. 